The title of the message is God's Plan to Disintegrate Disintegration. Um, And here we are in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading here in verse 8. Paul is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Verse 10, there's one of the key verses in chapter 1, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Can everybody say the next word? In what? Christ, right? Both which are in heaven and are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise, should be to the praise of his glory. All right. Now imagine if I said to you this morning, you guys, you wouldn't believe this, all right? But I had this incredible week. I actually found the blueprints for life. Uh, I actually found the architectural designs um, of God's will for life, for the universe, right? Uh, you might be thinking, are, are you kidding me? Um, I mean, that's a bit brazen, you know, to to make such a claim. Let me just say it again. I'm not talking about like, because we actually have architectural designs for this building. That was an interesting process to go through a lot of engineers and stuff. Costs a lot of money to hire an architect. But imagine if I were to say to you, look, I'm telling you this week, I actually found the architectural designs for the entire universe, what scientists and philosophers have been looking for all throughout history. I mean, what life is and, and where everything is headed. And um, what the process looks like, and actually what the final product is going to look like. And you might be thinking, golly, Greg, that's, um, that, that's a bit too much. Uh, you, do you actually believe that? And, and if you're really serious about uh, making such a statement, that would be kind of a bit arrogant of you, right? It's kind of an unwritten rule in our modern culture that you can't be sure about anything pertaining to God. It's like, who are you to think that you have a pipeline to the Lord? I mean, it's kind of just kind of arrogant, you know? I mean, you can, be, you can be certain about other things in life, like, for example, the Raiders are not that good, you know? I mean, it's like, you can be certain about that, but when it comes to, like, the Lord, it's like this idea that, you, you know, I actually have the blueprints and you know I didn't make them up but I found them or I know them and I want to share with you it's like well that's just way too off the charts um and it's been said that that if if someone were to take a position that says you know that that's just silly and arrogant and anybody who claims that they know the truth about who God is and what his will is for our life um that's just you know that's that's kind of crazy Uh, But as one person said, such ideas really chase its own tail because if it's arrogant to insist you know anything about God, it must be arrogant to insist you know you can't know anything about God. Now, I said all of that (laughs) to say that what Ephesians chapter 1 is, is that it tells us what God's blueprint is actually for life. 
and it's pure revelation. In other words, it is knowledge that goes way beyond what we could ever obtain from science or philosophy. If you go down to verse nine, and we're gonna go verse by verse just a little bit, but jump down to verse nine, find that word mystery there. Um, that term mystery refers to something that's indiscoverable, undiscoverable by human reason. But it, it is referring to a, a body of knowledge that in fact has been revealed to us. And if you go back to verse four, just remind you of this, if we ask the question, well, what do we learn about God from just verse four? Well, check it out. It says, just as he chose us in him, see there in verse four, he chose us, he's talking about the heavenly father there, chose us in Christ before the, what's the next word, you guys? Foundation of the world? Um, whoa, wait a second, time out. If you talk to, you know, you talk to scientists and ask, you know, what was taking place before the Big Bang, before everything was created? Here's their answer. They have no idea. I mean, what was taking place before everything was created? They have, it's like philosophers and scientists, they have no idea. They have some theories, but they have no idea what was taking place before the material world was created. Uh, there were no eyewitnesses. There was no reporter from the New York Times there, right? So you are talking about... You're talking about something that could only be known by God himself. And if it tells us, watch this, that he chose us, he chose us in him, okay, the he there is talking about the heavenly father. And just in verse four, we learn a whole lot about who God is before anything was ever created. And, and we see that behind creation and behind God's love and behind your life is a heavenly father who totally, totally adores you. Look, how many of you believe that deep down inside, we all have this longing actually to know the father. I mean, you know, in a biological sense, a psychological, emotional, our soul, we have a longing to know our biological father. And even deeper still, I'm telling you deep down inside, we have this, this, this longing to know the one who created us. You know, it's interesting. Paul Vitz, professor at New York University, author of Faith of the Fatherless. He wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless, excuse me, Psychology of Atheism, came out in 1999. He actually showed that the top 70 atheists in the world either did not have a father in their life or they had a poor relationship with their father. Atheists like Hobbes and Voltaire and Freud and Zadong and Hitler all had fathers who were either weak, unloving, or were absent. His conclusion was philosophers, professors, political tyrants who denounce God do so in order to relieve traumatic childhood experiences and to subconsciously seek out help rather than to explore any sort of valid or respectable reasoning process. I'm like, oh, I said all of that. Aren't you glad you came this morning? You're getting a lot here. But here's the thing. I, I said all of that is because, look, if you ask, what is Christianity? Oh, man. In essence... It's the heavenly father who, who, is, who is communicating with us, who has reached out to us, who is revealing himself to us in Christ. I mean, what father does not communicate with his children? What father does not tell his children the truth? If he's not telling them the truth, he's not communicating, he's not, he's not being a father really. 
And what's phenomenal about this is that the basis of our relationship with the one who, who created everything out of nothing is not, and we talked about this last week, and if you weren't here, you gotta get the CD on this or go online. The basis of our relationship is not some performance-based identity where it's like, I need to perform and do good and look good and you know, be doing great professionally and then I have some sense of confidence and some sense of God's blessing in my life. I mean, that's actually a slave mentality. We talked about it last week. It's like the Apostle Paul were here and, and I was like, hey Paul, you know what, in the West, man, a lot of people are finding their identity and how they are perceived by others and if they're doing well professionally, if they're doing good, Okay, and if they are, they have a sense of confidence and blessing. And if they're not, guess what? They're manic, up and down emotionally. They're, 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 they're really defensive because if anybody criticizes them, it's really crushing them because their identity is based upon their performance. It's a really deadly trap. He would say, oh, oh, in first century, Greg, you know, in Calvary Howard, he would say, that's a slave mentality. That's that's like, man, I, I got to perform and I got to perform really well because if not, my master is going to boot me out of the house, sell me or kill me or something. And isn't it awesome to know that we have this heavenly father who reached out to us in Christ, that the basis of our relationship with him would not be sweating out these good works, although good works are good. That's not the basis of our relationship. The basis of our relationship is total unconditional love. And that changes everything. It changes the way I talk to them. It just, it's just like no longer am I living under fear and guilt. I have this incredible, beautiful wholeness that in the, with the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, by nature, what we have in the book of Ephesians is kind of a top-down look at what reality is. It's like this heavenly perspective that provides a crystal clear understanding of the Lord, Christianity, our life and future. It, it, it gives us an accurate picture of what reality is. And that is, hey, before the foundation of the world, he like knew you, he chose you. I mean, think about the meaning behind choosing. He, it was intentional, he's omniscient. He knows everything about you. Oops, is not in his vocabulary. He knows things about you you don't even know about yourself, but he still loves you. He established the basis of your relationship with him to be in Christ. He, Jesus deals with the guilt, guilt issue and the sin issue. It's like I can wake up in the morning and say, golly, I just have this incredible relationship. And I can just have this high expectation that Abba, Father, Papa, the, the Almighty is my dad. Man, you talk about a sense of confidence in life. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, that just changes everything. It's so awesome. And when it says in verse eight, he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, it's telling us that this knowledge enables one to see the heart of things, which knows them as they really are. The understanding which then leads to right action in life. And in verse nine, when, we said, when it tells us having made known to us the mystery of his will, the word will there is the lemma in the Greek. It means he's made known to us the plan, the plan. Is there a plan? Yeah. 
Because you know what? The alternative would be, and I've said this a billion times, you know what I'm going to say here. It's like, if there is no creator, if there is no one who is at the beginning, you know, created all things and he was intentionally chose, he had not, he's omniscient and he, you know, he, he has a plan, the, the alternative to that would be there is no creator and therefore we're a byproduct of mindless nature and hence it's only reasonable to say we're a bunch of mistakes and stuff. No, but he's revealed to us the plan, that God has a plan for, yes, the universe. And what he is saying is that he's revealing it. And again, the fact that it says it's a mystery means it was undiscoverable by human reason. It could only be known through the Lord revealing it to us, divine revelation. And so check this out, you guys. And thank you for your patience. This, this top-down perspective, because generally we're looking, we're looking from you know, down, up, or we're spending a lot of time thinking horizontally in our life. Because um, we are in a culture that is immersed in horizontal issues, right? Facebook status updates and Twitter posts and, and uh, apps and stuff like that. Nothing intrinsically wrong with those things, but we're often just thinking horizontally, the perspective of thinking of our life from a top-down perspective, that changes everything. In fact, though, that's what God wants to do. He wants to radically change the way we think. Because if we're just thinking about our own needs and hurts and goals, our own fulfillment, we're not going to see our life as it really is. We're not going to see the truth of who we are. What we're really talking about is thinking about what is true. We will not know what is true without a top-down perspective. And that's what we're learning here in Ephesians. It's like, whoa. It's like, Lord, you had me in your mind before you created the entire universe? Yeah. And a plan in place to have relationship with you in my son. Awesome. But, but I'll tell you, I mean, here's what, this is so big. If you look at verse 10, there's more to this incredible plan because the word dispensation, do you see that there, you guys? Could be translated administration, I think in the NASB. Do you see that word there in verse 10, dispensation? We get our word economic from it. It means blueprint. And it tells us that God has a blueprint for mankind in the universe. And it's a blueprint that's actually unfolding. It's a blueprint that involves making all things whole in Christ, okay? So we'll look at verse 10. It says that in the dispensation, like in, in, the, in the administration, in the blueprint, okay, kind of a blueprint plan that he has of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one, okay, all things in, can someone tell me? Christ, right? Both which are in heaven and on earth, in him. Whoa. Now in many ways, the world, the world should be able, you guys, check this out. The world should be able to look at the church or look at believers' lives and, and begin to see what this phenomenal plan is. Because 
it implies something is broken, but the Lord came to fix it. And so our, our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones in Auburn and Placer County and Northern California and the world should be able to look at believers and begin to see, wow, this, this really big monster plan. I mean, we live in a world of, that is broken. There's broken families, there's broken relationships, there's no perfect parents, there's messed up chromosomes, there's messed up nations and stuff. But the, the world should be able to look at us and see, my goodness, for, you know, we see this process at play of a, of a healing that is taking place. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered, goodness gracious, what's, what's happening in our world today? What's happening in our own country? I talked about this little Wednesday night, but I'm reminded of Dorothy's famous line in The Wizard of Oz when she said, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore, you know? She wasn't, she was in Oz. And you ever, ever strike you like, man, I wonder, you know, are we, are we in America? I mean, things are changing so radically. There's this breakdown taking place. Do you sense it? Do you see it? We live in a broken world. And it goes back to Genesis chapter three, really. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter three, we're not gonna do it this morning, but you have Adam and Eve, watch this, check it out, who were in harmony with the Lord, They were in right relationship with God, but they stepped out of harmony. So you have then this brokenness, this spiritual alienation, it could be said. And when that took place, it resulted in anxiety and fear, a psychological alienation. And then it resulted in a breakdown in the relationship. They hid from each other. You have social alienation. And the Bible says when that took place, You have a brokenness that happened. Sin entered into the world and death by sin and it's been passed on from generation to generation. You know, if you think about it, the Lord has created the universe with these beautiful systems. Like just think about your lungs. I mean, you breathe in oxygen and you breathe out carbon dioxide, right? And, and then you have all these leafy trees out there that is actually breathing in carbon dioxide, but then breathing out oxygen. It's like this incredible, beautiful system. And a system is something in which all the components enhance one another rather than destroy one another. And if one component is out of alignment, If one component is ripped out of the system so that's not in the place it's designed to be, there's a breakdown, okay? And the Bible says sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So like if we we think of the Lord Jesus, we think, you know, why did Jesus come? and this is the right answer, but we say, well, he came to give his life on the cross and pay the debt of sin. I talked about it earlier. But if you ask him why he came, he would say, I came to seek and save that which is broken. I came to bring wholeness, shalom is a big term, peace, peace with God, peace with one another. I came to bring righteousness and blessing. You see, kind of getting back to this, watch this, this idea that our culture, if if looking to the church, they should see how systems 
um, are beginning to be made whole and healed. They should be able to look at us and say, oh, man, that's a, 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 a mind, an intellectual life, emotional life, volitional life that's balanced and, and whole. I mean, that's, a mar- that's, how, that's how a marriage ought to work. And, and, and everybody's in a dysfunctional family. We all have our challenges, but you know what? They're working through it. I mean, there's healing and there's growth and there's perseverance. And of course, when we come to Christ, if any man be in Christ, he is a brand new, can someone tell me, creation. Well, that's happening now and one day fully, actually, when we stand before him. There's a process taking place in our life. And Hebrews chapter one, verse three says, in Christ, all things hold together. If Christ is the head of the system, not just that we have laws, but he's the head, man, there's blessing there's wholeness, there's healing. And that's why many of you, having come to Christ, say, my goodness, I've, I've, experienced, I've experienced what God has intended for me. I've experienced how the systems have changed and have been healed. And this is why the world, as I've been saying, ought to be able to look into the church and begin to see the administration of this mystery I mean, it's inside the church that we have to show people how friendships, how relationships, how family, how marriage work, how worship works, how, how golly, knowing the one who made us works. And behind Jesus is a father that has reached out to us, the most beautiful, wonderful father. Hey, can I hear an amen to that? And in verse 10, it tells us this dispensation, administration, blueprint of the Almighty involves realities, you guys, in the heavens and in the earth. Because it says in verse 10, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So it's like, well, what do all things in heaven and earth encompass? Everything. I mean, Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created by him and for him or toward him, as some have it. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. All things came out of him. All things will return to him. And thus all creation is moving towards this consummation, this fullness of the blueprint, of the architectural design and plan that the Father has in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is big stuff. That's why Romans says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Please hear me. If this is not true, what's the alternative? And looking even closer to home, look, We'll get to this later in Ephesians, but Paul, Paul says in chapter two and three that this incredible plan in Christ is the peace plan for the world. That if you look at the first century in Christ, he brought Jews and Gentiles together. So he brought Jews and He brought like the world together in Christ. That's no small matter. 
I mean, think about the Middle East today. My goodness gracious. It's, it's some crazy realities taking place. And, and God has a peace plan for the Middle East. And the peace plan is in the Lord God of Israel, Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Which, which tells us everyone is at equal footing. We all need God's grace and help and healing. And when we come to Christ, he creates a new man in himself. That is the hope of the world. And so here's the big idea, guys. The Lord actually has a plan to destroy destruction. He has a plan to kill death. He has a plan to disintegrate disintegration, like all these systems breaking apart. He has a plan that all things will come together in wholeness and healing in Christ. And as a Christian, you're a part of that process that is moving towards fullness, completion, and shalom. And as a Christian, you are in Christ where God is growing and redeeming your life right now. Can I hear an amen to that? So look, I just, just the double underscore, if you look at verse 10 again, look at those last two words, in him. It's like, my goodness. I mean, he's gonna like bring everything under the headship of Jesus ultimately in fullness. And it's like in Christ, yeah. And, and Christians who understand that, get excited. I mean, Christians who really understand what God is after, you cannot help but get really excited. Because it, I mean, is the Lord concerned about our emotional needs? Of course he is. And burdens, totally. And guilt issues, totally. And we talked about last week, I mean, guilt kills. Jesus came and redeemed us by his blood. And he forgave us of our sins. I mean, past, present, and future. I mean, is he concerned about what you eat? Yes. Is he concerned about the dynamics taking place? Yes, like right now in your life? Totally, absolutely. He wants us to cast our cares upon him. He wants us to be bold in our approach to him because he's our papa, okay? But just please hear this, you guys. Christianity is really big. When I say Christian, I mean this plan is huge, And Christians who get it, man, get excited because they recognize the job of the church is to bring the kingdom power of Jesus into every area of life. As Timothy Keller said, it's our job to see by banding together in the church and by seeking to obey God that through the word of God and through the spirit of God and through the gifts of the spirit, Jesus wants to work through you to heal more and more and more of the results of sin in every area of life. And that just fires me up. I think what Paul said, hey, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's like, man, you better believe it. And it's the only hope for our lives and it's the only hope for the world. Christianity is about breaking destructive cycles. It's about bringing the kingdom, the power of Jesus into every area of our life. I'll tell you what, this really sets us up And I want everyone to turn with, well, actually, read with me in verse 11. Watch this. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Also, my goodness, thank you, Lord. Being predestined as a plan in place according to the purpose of him. Awesome, Lord, your purposes are great. 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will, Lord, your will is awesome, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his, can someone tell me? Glory. Okay, look up. Watch this. Okay. Um, is, is there a plan? Yes. Is God intentional? Absolutely. Um, and the alternative would be we'd be on this ball and traveling in space. There's no rhyme or reason for, for our lives, but, but there is a definite plan of our life. And you are a part of something really big and really awesome in Christ. And you're in it. And you've been sealed. And you're like, it's like getting on a plane and the door shuts. It's like you are in Christ now. And you always be in him. There's nothing more greater than being in Christ. That's the purpose of God for our lives, to be in Christ, right? And it all sets us up. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I want to say one thing. Okay. So this great plan can be seen and experienced by those who come to Christ. And, and that's what it's saying in verse 12, who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, this really big, awesome reality. Look, it all sets us up for one of the great, greatest promises in Scripture. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8 at this time. We also have the verse on the screen. And actually, while I generally teach out of the New King James Version, I've been doing that this morning, I want to actually use the New Living Translation. But please understand me, this is not a paraphrase for anybody out there who have concerns about paraphrases. This is a translation, okay? But it's a New Living Translation. And I want us to break this down, okay? Because um, here we've been talking this morning, obviously, about, my goodness, this incredible plan before the foundation of the world. The Lord had in his mind, in Christ, basis of our relationship would be, man, not a performance-based relationship, but be under the basis of the relationship of God's unconditional love in Christ. But everything is moving towards the Lord, so it's kind of now we're dealing with future realities. And you say, well, okay, what does that have to do with me today? And Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and not just actually verse 28, but down to verse 30, just, man, help us see what's happening right now and the benefits of being in Christ. And I want to break this down. First, just look at the word we know. We know. This is not guesswork. It's not hoping or wishing. This is something that we can know for certain. That's what, it, that's what he's saying. We know. And what do we know? Well, we know God causes. Okay, so this is something intentional. It's not random. It's not an accident or something left to the mindlessness of fate. We know God causes. So it speaks of a grand design behind everything. Okay, let's continue to break this down. We know, okay, that God causes, what's the next word, you guys? Everything, right? Now, if we just stopped there, that would make God the author of evil. And God is not the author of evil. Nothing that is evil in the world was caused by God. So what is he saying? We know that God causes all things to work 
together for the, can someone tell me? Good. Now watch, he doesn't say all things are good because not all things are good. I mean, there's a, there is evil in the world. I mean, there is ISIS and sex trafficking and rape and abuse of children and abuse of women. There is racism and anti-Semitism and hatred of Jews, hatred of Arabs, hatred of Hispanics, all kinds of things going on. There's a lot of crazy, stupid stuff in the world. So he's not saying everything is good. There's clearly things that are not good. But can God really bring good out of bad? Oh, oh yeah, he totally can. I mean, just look at the crucifixion. I mean, the death of the Lord's son was bad. They torched him, they spit on him, they beat him, and then they crucified him. Did God bring good out of that? Yeah, man, just the salvation of the world. I mean, God specializes in bringing good out of bad. And this, this promise, however, is not for everybody. Notice it says, to those who are called according to his, what? Purpose, all right? Well, you know, if we go back to Ephesians chapter one, Paul talked about the purpose, you know, and that we are the first to the praise of his glory. I mean, we are in this overall phenomenal purpose, this blueprint that the Lord has for the entire universe. And what is God's purpose? That, that you're in Christ. And if we continue to go on, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, verse 29, watch. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his, everybody say it, glory. How do, how do we know? How do we know that we are in him? God, there's nothing more wonderful than that. A couple of things. One is, Jesus will become more and more wonderful to you. Jesus will. It, in your life, you will grow in the worship and awe and adoration of Jesus. He is the one that came and gave his life for us, demonstrating the greatest love that could ever be demonstrated. It's in him that ultimately all things are made new. And it's like anyone who, anyone who kind of you know, gets it, not just kind of, but gets it. And anyone has relationship with the Father and Christ, guaranteed. It's like what, Jesus will become more glorious to you. He's won your heart. You adore him. It's it's more than just believing in some idea of grace. It becomes more personal. It becomes about Jesus. It, it is Jesus. And how do you know that you are in him? Well, if you go back to Ephesians chapter one, Paul writes, and we'll talk about this in the weeks to come, but there's an experience you have where the Lord comes into your life. He seals you with the Holy Spirit it's a big idea, but it speaks of, look, hey, you're mine forever. It's, again, getting into a plane, they seal that door. You're like, he seals you, guaranteed you are my kid forever. And the Bible says that 
that our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we're, we're, we're king's kids, we're children of God. And that is a legit, real, authentic experience. Remember Jesus said, a man must be born again to not only see but enter into the kingdom of heaven. Oh man, what could be better in life than to be in him? Can I hear an amen to that? Let me just say, I want you to know if there's anyone here for the first time, we're so glad that you're with us. Let me just say, God totally loves you. He loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you. I know these are big ideas. Check this out. I mean, his presence here, and he's here with us. He, he is so after you. you know? <laughs> he's so after you. He's pursuing you. Like there was a time I was pursuing this beautiful woman in the front row here. I still pursue her, you know. But I mean, you know, before we married, I pursued her, pursued her, pursued her, bought her a ring. I mean, you have the Lord who's after you because he totally loves you. He wants the best for you. He loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. And believe me, he knows all the ramifications in your life. And... Look, if we put billions of dollars to fight cancer, if we put billions of dollars to fight terrorism, billions of dollars for our defense, you know, for our country, it must be important, right? If, if, just think of this. If God himself stepped down from eternity, became a man, felt what we felt, hung, bled, gave his life as a demonstration of love, yeah, that, must, that must be really important and there must be a lot at stake. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He just wants to, the Holy Spirit wants to draw you to Christ. I mean, there, you, in Jesus, you don't have a greater friend. <laughs> you know, how many of you know Jesus is coming back? Raise your hand, you guys, if you believe it. He is, he's coming back, but you know, it's not doom and gloom. He comes back, it's a monster love rescue. I mean, man... We're about ready to drive ourselves in a ditch. Jesus said, unless those days were short, no flesh would survive. I mean, does Jesus bring righteousness? Yes. Judgment? You bet. If there's no judgment, there's no hope. Hitler gets off. No, there is such a thing as righteousness. There is such a thing as virtue and goodness. There's no doubt about it. And he's going to establish it on planet Earth. Bring shalom, well-being, wholeness to the earth. I totally believe it. And he's coming again. He loves you and he wants to, the Holy Spirit wants to draw you to Christ. And I just want you to know that you this morning can open your heart to him. That you this morning can say, hey Lord, be my savior, be my Lord. I mean, I, you know, I, I want relationship with you. And I'm going to invite you to, to do that. You say, well, what, what must I do? Let me just try to boil it down. Number one, recognize what God has done for you. Not only created you, but he's reached out to you in the Lord. Number two, Change the way you think. Embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. Say, Lord, I want to be in. Number three, receive him. Because he's just a prayer away. Those who call upon him, the Bible says, shall be saved. Those who call upon him can then receive the love that he has for them and experience the love that God has for you. Otherwise, watch, here's the distinction. It's not that God doesn't still love you because he loves you, but you're not gonna be unable to experience his love 
and know him in a real and personal way. It's not enough just to know about him. I need to come to the Father through the Son.